Good morning and welcome. Most of you hopefully have made your way there to Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 13, and we'll be going through verse 16. As we continue in our teaching series, the Sermon on the Mount, I'd like to just ask a question, wondering if, if you ever find yourself discouraged about the state of our world. Do you ever find yourself discouraged about the state of our world? Are you ever filled with frustration or maybe even feelings of anger at times when the world uh, tries to make us march to their to the beat of the drum that they're beating, right? Do you ever find yourself struggling even to have a positive outlook on the world uh, as you think about just the lack of reverence for God? Even at times, even even just watching the Olympics, even sometimes the commentary of of the Olympics, even as there's just pushing an agenda in the world. And, and there's this frustration, this anger, this disappointment, this heartache that I know I ex- experience and maybe you experience too when you consider uh, the state of the world in which we live in. See, it's true that we do live in a world that is filled with sin, isn't it? It's saturated with sin. People are making sinful choices every day. They're, they're pushing a sinful agenda, and we hear it all the time. The danger or the temptation sometimes, at least for me and maybe for you as well, is when, you, when we look at the world and when we're frustrated, uh, sometimes we respond differently. Uh, a couple of the ways that maybe we tend to respond is uh, sometimes we just kind of, uh, we want to kind of find ourselves completely um, ignoring the world, right? Almost becoming a recluse or uh, establishing our own community in such a way that we, we just ignore the world's problems and, and we kind of say, well, good luck. We're just going to stay over here and, and keep ourselves safe and tidy and, and make sure we circle the wagons. Maybe that's one way to think about it. That's what we do. We, we kind of circle the wagons a bit. That's one response to the sin of the world and the state of the world in which we live in. Another response is to just throw our hands up in the air and to just kind of give in, right? If if the old saying maybe fits, uh, if you can't beat them, join them. So we just kind of just lose it all, lose all of our convictions and just jump right in and and just say, well, it, it is what it is. And so we'll just go with it. This morning, as we listen to the words of Jesus, he's going to give us a better way. Uh, Jesus' way is always better. Did you know that? Jesus' way is always better. And Jesus is going to help us to see what our responsibility is as members of his kingdom living in a sin-saturated world. Jesus is going to help us to see how we should live 
and what that looks like. Now, if you've been traveling along with us, you know that this is our fourth week here on the Sermon on the Mount, and kind of as we, as we go back, we're reminded that there in chapter 4, uh, Jesus, after John the Baptist left the scene, Jesus enters into the picture, Jesus uh, shows up there and kind of picks up where John the Baptist left off, and Jesus continues this message, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, he's calling people to turn away from their sin and to turn toward him, and then Jesus, then he calls his disciples, and he says, come and follow me, and then Jesus makes this incredible promise. He says, I will make you fishers of men, giving us a a new purpose, a new identity, uh, a new way of life, and then in chapter 5, as we've As we've learned last week, the last couple of weeks, the Beatitudes, Jesus helps us to see that this calling, that as we respond to him, uh, Jesus uh, completely revolutionalizes our lives. He's going to turn everything on its head, on how we we see the world and, and how we live, and he calls us to that. And then this morning, he's going to continue on and to help us to see that we have a purpose that we we have an intentional practice uh, there's a reason there, there's an activity that we should be doing in the world in which we live and that's where in verse 13 Jesus then gives us these instructions you are the salt of the earth and then also in verse 14 he says you are the light of the world the big idea for this morning's sermon is this is that Jesus changes us for the good of the world and the glory of of God. Jesus changes us for the good of the world and the glory of God. The beatitudes leading up to these verses and we and you can't separate, right? You are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. You cannot separate that from what precedes it being the beatitudes. And what Jesus is doing, especially in those Beatitudes, he's giving us a new way of living. And he's giving us, he's going to help us to see that our lives should be changed. Our lives should should be different. So Jesus there in verse 13, Jesus is looking directly at the disciples and he's declaring to them, he is saying, you are the salt of the earth. And he says, you are the light of the world. We have to remember that as Jesus is giving these disciples this new assignment, we have to remind ourselves that these men who only a few days prior uh, would have thought of themselves as nothing more than just ordinary fishermen who were carrying on, carrying on the, the family business, but now Jesus, as Jesus has called these men to himself, he said, come and follow me. Jesus makes to them this incredible promise. He says, I will will make you fishers of men. Jesus says, I am going to be the one who changes you in such a way so that you will then be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. God always has a way of making something out of nothing, doesn't he? God has a way of excelling at using the least of these to carry out his eternal purposes. Those whom the world considers to be foolish, those whom the world might even consider to be second-class citizens, in Jesus' kingdom, they are crowned with wisdom, and they are given a seat at the table in Jesus' kingdom. You see, in, in calling the disciples, Jesus makes this promise to them. Jesus made the promise. He said, I will make you. He said, I will make you fishers of men. 
Jesus was the one who brought about the change in the hearts of these men. Over the last couple of weeks, I tell you, church, this whole Sermon on the Mount, and I've expressed this to some of you, some of you as you've been sitting here in the sermons, you've witnessed it firsthand. These, this Sermon on the Mount has, has been wrecking my soul a little bit. And I don't know, maybe it's, been, maybe it's been doing a work in your own heart as well. Because as we have meditated on this, on this sermon, on these Beatitudes, I think some of us, myself included, we have found ourselves, ourselves a bit overwhelmed at the thought of trying to live up to, to the, such expectations, I mean, I mean you, you read, you think about these Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek. These are, these are radical ways of living. And, and it's hard to imagine ourselves living up to these expectations because we know in our own hearts, we are very familiar with our daily struggles. We, we seem to constantly find ourselves flailing about like a swimmer, drowning in our own failures. And we, we know the struggles that we have, and then we read a text like this, and we say, how can this be? How can I do this? And it's then where we have to remind ourselves what Jesus told these men as he's calling them to follow him. Jesus said, I will make you. I will make you, is what Jesus is saying. Jesus takes the load of the responsibility of of somehow conjuring up the guts and the courage and the ability to make all of these changes on our, in, in our own initiative, under our own power, but instead we should remind ourselves that Jesus is the one who changes us. Jesus, Jesus looked at the disciples, he called them to himself, and he said, I will make you, I will be the one who changes you. See, the fact of the matter is is that it is impossible for us to live out the Beatitudes without Jesus being the one who changes us. When we read the Beatitudes and when we are weighed down by what seems to be a radical and, and, and unattainable way of living, we shouldn't throw our hands up in the air and give up, but instead we should find ourselves turning to Jesus and trusting in Jesus to be the one to change us. To believe that Jesus is the one who's going to empower and equip us to live up to these characteristics, this this normal way of living as a follower of Jesus. When you read the Beatitudes, don't think of it as, man, that's that's radical living for a Christian. Jesus is just giving us the very basic foundational truths of what our lives should look like. And yet the the beauty is, is that Jesus is the one who comes alongside us and he says, I will make you. I will do this work in your heart. And so Jesus, again, as, as we kind of follow the, the pathway of this, this historical storyline that, that Matthew is setting up for us, Jesus calls these disciples to himself. Jesus promises to them, I am going to be the one who changes, who changes you. And then there's a reason why ch- Jesus changes us, and we see it then in verse 13. Again, this is, this is the big idea, that Jesus changes us for the good of the world and the glory of God. There in verse 13, Jesus gives us our new assignment as changed people. He gives us a, a new assignment as his followers. Now, verses 13 and 16 are very familiar to many of us, aren't they? Right? We've, we've heard these verses 
before, but often we do separate them from the Beatitudes that precede them. But the flow of these verses are tightly connected. You see, it's the believer, it's the follower of Jesus who lives out the Beatitudes. And as they live that out, they then are the salt and the light of the world. Now, I guess we have to maybe talk a little bit, ever so briefly, about what it means to be salt and light. Or really, what's the significance of salt and light? Regarding salt, our understanding of salt is primarily limited to what we use to flavor our food at the dinner table, right? How many of you have a salt shaker there sitting in the middle of your dinner table? Most of us do, right? Maybe one of the first things after the meal's presented to you, you look at someone and say, would you please pass the salt? Or we are very familiar with salt as being used as something to melt the ice on our sidewalks, Amen. right? Many of you probably spread some ice this past week. And so <laughs> I'm laughing because we didn't spread ice at our house and there's a story to behind that, so sorry. I'm hearing my family chuckle on this. But that, 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 that's, what, that's what we're familiar with salt as being. Now, during Jesus' day, salt, though, was viewed as a vitally important commodity because it has a preserving value. In Jesus' day, they did not have any source of refrigeration, did they? And so salt in Jesus' day became the means of preserving meat from decaying. Salt was used as a preservative. The ancients would rub down meat and fish to preserve it for daily use down the road in the future. Salt was so important. It was so important as, as, a, as a preventative of corruption, as a preventative of decay, Salt was so important in the ancient world that wars were actually fought over salt. Entire economies were based on salt. In short, salt could literally make the difference between life and death in a time when fresh food was not available. So then the second metaphor, so, so we understand that Jesus is presenting salt as being, a, as, as being a preservative, salt as being something that slows down the decaying process. Then Jesus presents to us the second metaphor there in verse 14 where Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Again, it's hard for us to understand really the, the significance of being the light of the world because we live in a world where light is readily available. Even our phones have flashlights on them. To understand the significance of this metaphor, we need to imagine the world not having so many lights around. If you've ever toured Mammoth Cave or another underground cave system, you understand how important lights are. And maybe this helps give you an understanding of the significance of light that Jesus is speaking to here. I've been on tours in an underground cave system where 
and they'll, they'll take you down into the, the deep part of the caverns, and then what will they do? And they'll warn you, and they'll say, we're going to shut the lights off, and we're going to show you just how dark it gets down here. And so they do that, and it gets so dark, it gets dark enough to where you, you can't even see the palm of your own hand just a few inches from your face. And it's in those brief moments of darkness that I think a lot of us experience a very unique fear, don't we? And, and, we're, and we're ready for them, even after just a few short seconds, we're ready for them to go ahead and you can turn the lights back on now, all right? The illumination provided by a source of light, even a small source of light, what does it do? It brings great relief and assurance. Light has a way of bringing great relief and assurance. Jesus is speaking to these disciples who he's instructed, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, turn away from your sinful way of living, come and follow me, trust in me to make you, to change you. And Jesus is now saying, now as this changed person who's now living according to these norms of Christian living, these beatitudes, as a changed person, you are going to be sent out into the world as salt, a preservative, and as light, Someone to give relief and assurance. So Jesus is using these metaphors to help us understand our double role in the world. As salt, listen to me now, as salt, as believers being salt, what are we doing? We are slowing down the process of social decay. And as light in the world, we are chasing away the darkness. What Jesus is telling us is that our presence and our involvement in the world is beneficial to the world. When the world is left to itself, the world is going to continually slide deeper and deeper into sin and depravity. But the follower of Jesus is to live in a distinctly different way. Don't miss the key principle in Jesus' metaphor of salt and light. Citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we are to impact society because we are distinctly different. Let me say that again. We are to impact society because we are different than the rest of the world. When salt and light try to accommodate to or be conformed by the kingdom of this world, what happens? We lose our distinctiveness. We lose our potential to impact the decay and the, the darkness of this world, which is passing away. It is through our distinct way of living that we serve the world through preservation and illumination. When we live like the world, let me say this, okay, and, and listen here carefully. When we live like the world and we compromise the commands of Jesus Christ, when we appease the world and try to find uh, and, and, and compromise what Jesus instructs us, when we appease the world, what happens is we find ourselves no longer being of any benefit to the world. And that's where Jesus is telling us. He is saying, how can the salt lose its saltiness? 
how can the light be hidden? Because in so doing, we lose the benefit of being different and distinct. A follower of Jesus Christ is to be so distinct from the world that his life cannot be hidden. A follower of Jesus is to be so different from the world that he acts as a stopgap between, he, he or she acts as if or lives in such a way that they are standing between the world continuing to go off of the hill, off, off of the cliffside into destruction. Right. Let me put it in this way, and children, I think you will be able to relate to this. Uh, a week ago, my children were playing with dominoes, all right? And, and they were setting up dominoes around, they're on, the, on the kitchen floor, all around the floor, underneath the table. The domino, there was a domino trail going down the stairs. And you understand how this works, don't you, children? Right? I'm looking to some of you high school uh, men over here. You understand how dominoes works, right? You, you set them up side by side, and then with one push, the domino trail begins to fall, one after the other, correct? And so the children had all of these dominoes all around underneath the the table, all over the place. Now, a smart domino builder is going to do what? What are they going to do? They're going to put a stopgap along the way in the event that something comes and accidentally, before they intend for it to happen, something comes and, and gets the domino trail started. And so a good domino builder, all right, are you following along with me? You understand where I'm going with it. A good domino builder is going to remove, is going to have a gap in there several places around the domino trail so that in the event someone or a brother or a sister or a dog comes along and accidentally tips one of those dominoes over that you don't lose the whole, all of the work that you just spent 30 or 40 minutes doing. So you put these stop gaps in there as a way of making it so the whole thing doesn't fall to pieces. As believers, what Jesus is telling us, Jesus is saying, as believers, we are like those stop gaps in a society that, is to, that keeps the world from just continuing to go down this trail of destruction, we are to be that salt and that light, that preserving effect to make it so that the world doesn't continue to go over the side of a cliff in their sin. And ultimately, I'll just tell you this, ultimately what happened is they put the stop gaps in, but our dog walked into the picture and he sat down, and you know what got the kids, Dominoes? His tail. His tail started wagging and wiped them all out right there. The stop gaps didn't work with that. But as followers of Jesus, we are to be what? That stop gap. 
we, we are to be, have that preserving impact on the, life of other, on the lives of other people. So we see at the end of verse 16, Jesus tells us this. What does he say? He says that we are to live our lives in such a distinct way, he says in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who's in heaven. The good deeds, okay, the good deeds that we do in the world are the salt, are the light, but the good deeds that Jesus is referring to actually take us back then to the Beatitudes, the good deeds Jesus is referencing, they take us back to the Beatitudes, and he says this is the way in which a believer lives. The salt and the light way of living is through living out these Beatitudes. And so what I want to do here is just for a few minutes, let's think this through, let's process what does it look like to apply some of these Beatitudes, and how, how do they serve as a stopgap? from the world continuing to, to careen down this pathway of sin. For example, let's look at that first beatitude as we think it through. As salt and light, right? How, how can someone be poor in spirit and be salt and light? As we live as those who are poor in spirit, we reflect the glory away from ourselves and we point other people to God. We live in a world that, cost, that says, look at me, look at me, look at me. For those of us who live for the Lord, who are poor in spirit, we are constantly pointing people to Jesus. We live distinctly different than the way the world lives. We live in a world that is obsessed with the rat race of personal accomplishments and accolades. We live in a world that will, will sacrifice everything to get what they want, but instead, the follower of Jesus seeks to glorify the one who is rich in all things and the giver of good things to us. Or think about this. As we live as those who mourn over sin, where are the good deeds, right? How does that impact the world if we mourn over sin? Well, when we mourn over our sin, we model for the world God's heart towards sin. When we grieve over our sin, when we, will, when we lament over the sin that others are entrapped in, we are expressing a deep sadness over the effects and the stranglehold that sin has in our world. You see, we live in a world that celebrates sin, don't they? We live in a world that celebrates sin. The follower of Jesus is to what? Is to mourn over our sin. And the way in which that has a preserving effect, the way in which it illuminates the, the, the world in which we live, and the way in which it serves as that stopgap, is, is we, we remind people that through our mourning over sin, that, that God is concerned about our sin. Our tears and our heartaches have a preserving and illuminating effect because through our mourning over sin, we are calling men and women to turn away from their sinful ways. The meek person. Right? We're told there, blessed are the meek. How does a meek person act as salt and light. Well, the meek person displays God's patience and kindness in a world that is quick to condemn 
and bulldoze their way to the top. The meek person is the salt and the light in how we interact with other people. We have a deep humility. We have a patience. We have a gentleness. We step into the lives of others with sensitivity and patience, knowing that they are broken sinners just like us. See, we're different than, than the world, aren't we? Or maybe one other way, you think just as, you, as, as we continue to, to go down some of these beatitudes, how else can we be salt and light in the world uh, by hungering and thirsting for righteousness? What, what does that look like? Well, when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we show the world that there's more to life than just the things of this world. While the world chases after more money, more power, more pleasure, as followers of Jesus, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, we are able to rest in the, satis in, in the satisfaction and the contentment of the Lord. Our lives shine as a beacon of hope to the tired and the weary and those who are worn out from chasing all of the shiny objects of this world. We are the salt that invites them to come and taste and see that the Lord is good. You see, Jesus calls the disciples. He says, come and follow me. Jesus says, I will be the one who changes you. I will make you into this different, this, this new person, this new creation. This, these beatitudes is how you are to live. And in, you, in living in that way, you will be beneficial to the world for the good of the world. So I think maybe we can ask some very, uh, some, some more heart probing questions this morning. I want you to consider your own life. Are you living in a distinctly different way and having an, and having an effect on those people around you? Are you serving as a preservative and an illuminating effect? What type of Christian influence are you having on those people around you? So let me just ask a few categories of, of folks here, right? Young athletes. I know there are some athletes here, right? Some basketball players, right? Swimmers, cross-country runners. Young athletes. If you were to stop playing on your sports team, would your teammates miss your good sportsmanship? Would your teammates miss the way you displayed genuine care and concern for others? Would your teammates miss the fact that you always looked for ways to give the other teammate the credit? Again, this is taking these beatitudes and now applying it to specific areas of our lives. Areas in which if you were to, to step away from that area, would there be a difference? Would, 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 that, would that locker room conversation, all right? I'm looking to the, these, these young men here, all right? Young gals too, you're, you're here. Would, would the conversation be different? in the locker room if you weren't there? 
trust me, I, I know what those locker room conversations are like. When you step into that locker room as salt and light, do the other guys or gals in that locker room change what they're talking about because salt and light has now entered into the locker room? That's the preserving effect. That's when you are poor in spirit, when you mourn over sin, when you're a meek person, merciful, pure in heart, peacemaker, all of that. That when you step into the room, people, not, again, not for your own pride, not for your, for, for your own glory, but it's just because, because you live differently. You are distinctly different. I remember when I was a youth pastor, 20 years ago, students would come rolling up and they'd have their music playing. But as soon as I, the youth pastor, walked up to that car, you know what happened? They changed the station. <laughs> they turned it off. And I would quit this one guy, Eric, Eric, um, I won't say his, his last name, uh, because we're on Facebook, but Eric used to, uh, you know, he, he, listened, he listened to just kind of like some of this rap music stuff. I never got into that. I know some of y'all like that, but I never got into it. But he, he would turn it off because he knew the pastor's around. And that's the type of effect that our lives should, again, that's the type of effect that when we step into the room, we should be that stopgap between those dominoes that keep the world, that stop the world, stop the domino train from falling. So young athletes, if you were to stop playing on your sports team, would, would your teammates notice a difference? What about this? If you were to move away to a different city, if you were to move away to a different city, would your neighbors hate to see you leave? Would your neighbors miss having you to talk to about their struggles and their heartaches? Would your neighbors miss the way you invited them over for dinner? Would your neighbors miss having you check in on them to make sure they were all right after an ice storm. That's, that's being salt and light. If you were to get a different job, let's move to another category. If you were to get a different job and to leave your current place of employment, would your boss miss the way that you displayed respect toward them and didn't talk negatively about them behind their back around the water cooler? Would your coworkers miss your ability to work through differences with other people in the office and bring peace back to the office space? Would the service technicians at your place of employment, would the service technicians miss the way that you thanked them for their help? Let me talk to the elementary and the middle school and the high school students again. All right, since you all are in here. Students, if you were to switch schools, 
Would your friends miss your life-giving and your pure conversations at the lunch table? In other words, when you were around and when you sat around those lunch tables, your presence helped keep those conversations clean. Students, would the teachers miss the way that you worked hard with integrity because you're pure in heart and they knew that even if no one was looking, you would not try to cheat or cut corners? Would your teachers miss that? I wonder, would those students who aren't the most popular Would those students who find themselves lonely and at times made fun of, would those students notice that you were no longer walking the hallways? Because they missed your gentle greetings and your caring heart for them. That's salt and light, church. That's salt and light. To know that the atmosphere, the environment is different because your life and how you live and what you say and what you laugh at and the movie, because all of that has a preserving and an illuminating effect. Our lives are to have this effect of salt and light. And it's not forced. Instead, it's simply natural. Because Jesus is the one who's changing us. And he's causing this this change to take place in our lives. And as, as members of this new kingdom, we've been given this incredible responsibility. So much so that when we survey the landscape of the world in which we live, We shouldn't become frustrated. We shouldn't become agitated. We we should be filled with compassion like our Savior was filled with compassion. And we should ask ourselves, Lord, how are you calling me to step into this? How are you, Lord Jesus, what opportunities have you given me to be salt and light in this situation. And Jesus then tells us that as we live in this way for the good of the world, what will happen? The end of verse 16. They'll see your good deeds and they'll glorify your Father in heaven. That God will use it to draw men and women to himself to glorify him. Jesus changes us 
to be of benefit to the world, for the good of the world, so that others then will see the difference in our lives and will be drawn to Jesus and glorify our Heavenly Father.